that gum. If I don't like your wood, your wood's wet, as they say. I'm telling you right now. If that doesn't speak to you, it ain't the music. It's your heart. You better, as my old preacher I grew up with used to say, you better come down here and get right. <laughs> thankful for these students. I know that. Very thankful for them. Uh, we are talking about Thanksgiving, not the holiday, which you know is my favorite, but the act of giving thanks, giving praise, thanks, gratitude, giving gratitude, however you want to say it. It's all the same things, all similar things. Thanksgiving. We started a w- series last week. We talked uh, about the expectations of Thanksgiving, the expectations of faith when it comes to Thanksgiving. This week we're talking about the, es- the essential to faith, the essentials to faith, and then next week we'll talk about the effects on faith when it comes to Thanksgiving. So that's what we're looking at today. That's what we're digging into. Uh, today is the essential aspect of Thanksgiving to your faith, how it plays an essential role, a foundational role in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I read a, read a, uh, a story about this. It made me laugh because it, it makes me want to do it, actually. Uh, that's why it made me laugh. But, excuse me, there was a father and a mother that, you know, worked really hard, uh, saved up for Christmas, tried to get some good gifts for their kids. And as kids can be, sometimes they were uh, less than grateful for their Christmas presents. It wasn't the right brand. It wasn't you know, expensive enough, it wasn't nice enough, it wasn't big enough, it was, they were just very ungrateful for it. So the father, being the wise man that he is, uh, he took those gifts back to the store, got his money back, and took his wife out, and they went out and had a good time. Had a little trip, had a little quick vacation on the kids' Christmas presents, and uh, needless to say, the kids the next Christmas were extremely grateful for their Christmas presents. As I was reading about Thanksgiving and gratitude and and the time of year that we're getting into, I read that story and I thought, man, that's hilarious. Uh, That's something that I'll have to keep in the back of my mind should it ever become necessary. (laughs) But we are digging into Romans 1 today. Uh, We talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about Romans, but Paul writes this letter in 57 AD. Uh, 57 AD is when Paul's writing this letter. He is in Corinth as he writes the letter. He dictates the letter. Uh, and then it's transcribed by someone that can, that can write it down. He dictates the letter in 57 A.D., and we know that Paul is on his way after he finishes this letter to Jerusalem to take an offering to the church there that has been disbanded and sent out into the world, heavy persecution, heavy famine, bad times, and he's bringing help, financial help, to the church in Jerusalem uh, as he is on, on this path. But understand what, is, what has taken place and what is starting to take place and then definitely kicks off big time in Rome at this time that he's writing this letter. So not too long before this, uh, the emperor Claudius has kicked out the Jews from Rome. Uh, and he blames it on that, that uh, the troubles of Crestus is, is the way it's spelled uh, in, the, in the history uh, written by the Romans, which is an obvious statement about Christ and about Christians, but it was misspelled, the Christians and uh, the disruptions that these Christians are causing in Rome, and he kicks the Jews out, the, the Christian Jews as well. So in 4950 A.D., all the Jews are dispelled from the city of Rome. The church in Rome has already started at this time. And so, so the church in Rome has lost a lot of its people with the foundational knowledge of Scripture. So it was difficult times. This is how Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla, if you, if you know who they are in Scripture. They leave Rome because of this, 
and go to Corinth, and that's where Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla, and they become a vital part uh, of the New Testament church and, 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 and the New Testament and, and Paul's ministry. So it's, it's amazing how God can take even something like that and, and use it, but that's the time period we're in, right? And, and so Paul knows that by going back to Jerusalem, he's, he's walking into hard times knowingly, persecuted times especially, knowing that he could probably be arrested, if not killed, and the people literally are begging him. The Christians in the church at Corinth and the other Christians are begging him not to go to Jerusalem because of the danger of it. Uh, and then in uh, Acts 21, 13, Paul says this, talking about that. He says, Then Paul answered them, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, handcuffed to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I love that. That's Paul, man. That's him. It's like, let's go. I, I'm going. Ridiculous. I'm going. And so that's the, that's, the, that's the setting in which Paul writes Romans. Okay? He knows he's going to Jerusalem. He wants to go to Spain to take, the, to take the gospel there. He wants to go through Rome on his way to Spain. But he's not sure if he's leaving Jerusalem. He wants to do those things. And if God gives him the chance, he's going to do those things. But as he goes to Jerusalem with that offering, right after he finishes the letter of Corinth, he may not make it out. And he knows that. And I can't help, it's, now this is complete speculation on my part, I can't help but think Paul's got that in his mind as he dictates this letter to Rome. He knows Rome is going to be an important city. He knows the church in Rome is going to be an important church. But he knows he may not get to them to share in strengthening their faith. That's what he says. I can't wait to get there with you guys so you can strengthen my faith and I can strengthen yours. And knowing that that is going to be historically very important. I can't help but think Paul had that in his mind as he's dictating this letter because it's so in-depth and it has so much theology and it has so much of Paul's heart in it. It's almost like Paul is like, I'm pouring it all out there in case I don't make it. In case when I go to Jerusalem, I'm done. The church in Rome is going to know what I feel like. And the church in Rome is going to be able to copy this letter and send it out to the churches and they're going to know what they need to do as Christians and as followers of Jesus and, and as a group of believers, as a church. I can't help but think that's what Paul was thinking. I, think I, I, I just can't help but think that's what the Holy Spirit was putting on his heart. It's time, Paul. It's time to put it all down in one letter. And, and that's really what he does. If you, you know, we quote the Romans word, the Romans road, to lead people to Christ. Right? We, 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 we go back to Romans so much when it comes to understanding things and learning things and the theological system and, and so many different things. It's a great letter. Uh, and, and Paul, like any letter, starts it off with a, hey, how you doing? Uh, thanks for being awesome. I've heard great things about your church. Can't wait to get there. It's going to be great. Uh, and then, as Paul tends to do, he gets right down to business real quick. He gives them 17 verses of, hey, how you doing? Everything's great. I love you. We're going to be there soon. And then, bam, let's dig into it. Let's dig into it fast. And that's where we're picking it up today. Right after he has said, hey, how you doing? Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we're picking up in verse 18 is where we will start today. Things probably not going to work again. Shell, you're going to have to follow me. I'm going to burn that thing this week. If you see me having a little episode out here, that's what's happening. That computer, I have broken it with a sledgehammer and I have set it on fire. That is what's going to happen. All right, go a couple forward, Shell. One more forward. There you go. All right, so Romans 1, verse 18. 
For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, or his Godhead, your English translation may say, love that, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So Paul goes into it and he says, hey, there's a whole lot of godlessness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness out there. There's a lot of people not following God. But nobody has an excuse. You, Paul says, you don't have an excuse. Why? Because God has clearly made himself known through creation. All you have to do is stop and look around and think about it a little bit. God is God. He knows. He knows that you are without excuse. He knows that he has revealed himself to you. And so we are with that. It is clear. It is clear that created things like you and me and this world have a creator. It is clear. Created things have a creator. But mankind, mankind chose self. Mankind chose self and creation over God. So, therefore, verse 24, next slide. Therefore, God delivered, uh, you're on it right there, Shell. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, all the way back to Adam and Eve, and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. So, what happened? Mankind chose self, chose creation. So what does God do? God delivered them over to their desires. He said, you want it? All right, you can have it. You want sin in this world? You got it. Here it comes. And what does sin in this world do? It causes a lot of problems, right? So choosing our way over God's way, what does that do? It doesn't evolve us into more knowledgeable, more wise beings that know more of what to do. It devolved humankind. It devolved Mankind. Instead of evolving into something greater, we devolved into something more foolish. The, de- the devolving into worshiping human being and beast and bird and busts of bronze. Instead of worshiping God, which we were created to do, we devolved into worshiping ourselves, into worshiping animals and birds and graven images and statues and every other thing that you can think of. Because we're going to worship something. God gave us a choice and we chose something else. So what does devolving into sin look like? This is this slide we're on now. What does it look like to devolve into sin? We're going to read three slides here, Shell. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. For this reason, what? Since they chose creation and themselves over God. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. The women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, 
quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Next slide, 31. Senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they knew God, God's just sentence, what is his just sentence? That those who practice such things deserve to die. Although humankind, although man knew that, they not only do them, these things, but even applaud others who practice them. Two things off of that. Well, three things. One thing not in my notes and two things in my notes. One thing is, those are some uncomfortable scriptures. They are. Dig into them. Take God's word for God's word or don't. That's all I can tell you. Uh, it is what it is. It says it right there. That's the first thing. Off my notes. Back to my notes so I don't get in trouble too much. Notice at the end there, it says that not only do, does mankind do these things, but they applaud those who practice them. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like the world in which we live? Where not only do we does mankind do the wrong things, but we stand on our pedestals and say, I got the right to do this wrong thing, and he's doing the wrong thing, and she's doing that thing, and I'm glad they're doing those things. Do it all the more. It's not new. <laughs> Human nature is not new. The same things were happening then. The exact same things. All the things you can think of right now that are running through your head, Every single one of those things, and I mean every single one of those things, were happening in Rome during this time. Every single one of those things. They didn't have the internet, but other than that, it was the same. All the same things. Applauding each other doing the wrong thing. Second thing, technically the third thing. Are you on that list? When you read that list of things, are you in there anywhere? You know, envy? They are gossips, slanderers, boastful, disobedient to parents. Do we fall on that list? Do you fall on that list? Do Christians, do Jesus followers fall on that list? Do we do those things? Have we done those things? With that in mind, Paul kind of, as he tends to do, flips the script on them. I mean, big time, boom, like a left hook they didn't see coming. Right? Romans 2. Next slide, Shell. Yeah, therefore. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore mankind is so awful. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. <laughs> For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. Paul talking to the Romans, now the Roman Christians. You're judging mankind for doing these things, but you do the same things, and you're condemning yourself. As a judge judging, you are condemning Yourself. Now, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. The truth of God's word. The truth of God's character. The truth of who God is. The truth of what he says. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things, yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Paul says, Let, lest you read that list and hear me talking about how bad the Romans are. Lest you read that list and get on your hot horse. Aren't you on that list too? Haven't you judged people for doing that? See, God's judgment is, is righteous. And, and we are all condemned if it were up to us. 
If it were up to us to be made righteous before a holy God that is judging, we have no hope. None. Zero. Zilch. Nathan. Nada. No hope if it were up to us. And, and also, how do we know something just isn't right? How, how do you know something just isn't right? Like you, you just know that something isn't right? Back to the no excuse thing, right? Like you don't have to learn these things aren't right. You just know, like those things that we just know inside of us, that they just are what they are. How do we know those things? So the, the judge is without excuse, right? In a world of, of, of relative truth, your truth, my truth, her truth, his truth, what is truth in that world that we live in, how do we know what is right and what is not right? Let me ask you this question. What, what happens... When a, an 18-month-old walks up to another 18-month-old and snatches their toy out of their hand and walks off, what happens to the 18-month-old that, that lost their toy? Do you have to, do you have to go up to that 18, 18-month-old and go, now listen, what he just did to you is not right. You need to go over there and get your toy back because he shouldn't take your things. Does he have to be taught that? Does she have to be taught that? Of course not. What do they do? Well, it depends on their personality, right? They might run over there and punch them. They might lay down and cry. They might say, Mom, Dad, what? did anybody teach them that someone shouldn't have taken their thing? No. We just know it. And the Paul's point is, when we judge, when anyone judges, they're saying that they know something is truth. Something is either right or it's wrong. You can't judge without knowing that or making that declaration you are declaring that something is right and you are declaring that something is wrong right what about what about murder cheating on a spouse those big things right those big things that we think about i asked that we were talking about we had the uncomfortable teenage boy sexual conversation on a wednesday night a couple of weeks ago we were going through all that stuff fun fun stuff And I asked them to picture their future spouse. I want you to picture your future spouse, the girl of your dreams, the girl that you are going to marry is going to make all your dreams come true. Picture her in your head right now. Close your eyes. And do you have her? Do you have her pictured? They're all sitting right here. They all shook their heads. Okay, now, raise your hand if you would be okay with her sleeping with someone else. Guess how many hands went up? You probably can answer that. Nobody's hand went up. Why? Because we just know <laughs> that that hurts. I didn't have to learn that that was going to hurt. It hurts. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul's talking about here. Mankind knows that they're not right. We know that the world is living in something wrong. We know those things. Now, God makes it even more clear through his word, but no one is without excuse. And lest we get on our high horse, don't judge others because we've done just the same things, if not still doing the same things, is the, is the point that Paul is making. So we know that we know because we know when we are wronged. If you're ever in a debate with someone about what is right and wrong, that's an easy way to win the debate. Okay? If there's not, relative, if there's not actual truth, then how do you know when somebody's done something wrong to you? Because I guarantee you, if I punched you in the nose right now, you would think that was wrong. That would be absolutely not okay with you. There is absolute truth. I'm going to chase that rabbit. 
So, where's the crux in this whole thing, right? Where, where's the connection between knowing God and no excuse and the degraded mind that Paul's just talked about and God's wrath and etc.? Where's the connection between these two things? God made himself clear and evident through his creation and his created things, but, but man has devolved into this sinful mess. Where is the connection point? How do we get from point A to point B? In other words, what is the essential ingredient that is missing here and that needs to be there? It's right here. Romans 1.21. For they, they knew God. This is in between the two things we just looked at. For they knew God. They did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. I've skipped over that part. A lot. I've read that verse a lot. I've heard that verse a lot, but I've never thought about the importance of the show gratitude part in that verse. They knew God, but they didn't glorify Him. That always stood out. Or show gratitude. Or give thanks, your version may say, your English may say. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Giving thanks, showing gratitude, is essential for a newborn follower of Jesus. Faith in Jesus must lead to grateful hearts to God. It must. Why? Because you're wretched, according to that list, and I'm wretched, according to that list, and we know things are wrong, just naturally, we know it. We understand that there's a separation between us and God, whether we ever admit it or not, we know something is not right in this world. And we can't fix it. But God can. And that should lead to an an abundance of gratefulness, thanksgiving in our heart. And and that's what what Paul starts with in this section. I I, I separated it out to try to make a point. But Paul starts with that in this section. What, What is it that we are to be thankful for? It's in verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For everyone. For in it the righteousness of God, the right judgment of God is in the gospel. Is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There's a couple of things in there that really jump out to me. The first thing is the end of it. The righteousness will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. That is Paul quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Habakkuk. You ever read Habakkuk? You know where it is? It's out of contest who can get there the fastest in the Bible. Ready? One, two. I'm just kidding. Habakkuk, right? He's he's an Old Testament prophet. It's a really short book. It doesn't take very long to read. It's got a really cool prayer slash song for the choir director at the end of it. Chapter 3. I would challenge you to go read that today. It's awesome. He talks about his faith in God. But Habakkuk, Paul's talking about a guy that is living in the time at the, at, in the 610 B.C. when Israel is in, the, Judah, sorry, Judah, the southern kingdom, is in disarray. They're, doing, they're living terribly. The northern kingdom is gone. He doesn't even mention them in his letter. It's so far past the northern kingdom being taken over by the Assyrians. And he says, God, when are you going to do something? And it looks like the Babylonians are coming in on us. What are you doing, God? You're going you're gonna to judge your people by using the Babylonians? Are you serious? That can't be right. 
That can't be how you're going to do this. You cannot be possibly, that cannot be the righteousness of God. There's no way, God, that that is right. You can't be disciplining us by, by making it better for them, by extending their kingdom, by making things better for the Babylonians. God, that, that cannot be what you are doing. It's almost as if Habakkuk is ashamed of what God is doing. That cannot be your character, God. That, that can't be the right way to do it. Can't you give us all a bunch of swords and let us go kill them all and, ex- and expand our kingdom and make our lives better? God says, no, you are far from me. You are far from me. And the best thing for you is to come close to me. And so, yeah, I'm going to use them to get you to come close to me because that's way better than you extending your kingdom. And that's way better than the temple getting bigger. And that's way better than more money being in your pocket and more food being in your stores. That's way better for you to know me and to be back close to me and to love me. That's the best thing that can happen to you. So yeah, Habakkuk, Mr. Think You Know Everything. This is, what the, I'm, this is my translation of the letter. Go read it. That's what it says. Three chapters. It doesn't take very long. God says, yeah, Mr. Know-it-all, that's the way I'm going to do it. And good's going to come from it. And if you believe in me and you believe in what I'm going to do and you think, and you, you trust, think's the wrong word, you trust in me to do that, then it will show your righteousness. And he says there, because the righteous will live by faith. That's the, that's the quote that Paul is putting in here. And they would have known that. And, and Paul, think about the times Paul's in. Christians have been expelled, Jews have been expelled from Rome. Nero's on his way, guys. Nero lights the streets of Rome with Christian bodies on stakes. Literally turns Christians into lamps. That's what's happening in the Christian world at this time. And Paul's saying, hey, you don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand what God's doing. But the righteous live by faith. They trust that God's way is best. They trust that they're not righteous. They trust that they need Him. They trust that that what Jesus did paid for their sin. They trust the righteous trust in God. They have faith. That's what Paul is saying there. The righteous will live by faith. So Paul is saying, yeah, it's tough right now, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Even though to this living world, it looks ridiculous. It looks like they're winning. They're fixing to line up another street of Christian light posts. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here. He says it a different way in Corinthians. Starting there in 1 Corinthians. You can read along with me. Same, same concept. Saying it a different way. Same person. This is Paul. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Keep going, Shell. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom and did not, did not know him. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. Hmm. That's us. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. But we preach 
Christ crucified. At this church, we preach Christ crucified. At this church, we must always preach Christ crucified. Foolishness to the world, but God's wisdom, wisdom and, and righteousness revealed through it. Foolish, foolishness to those that are perishing, to those that are dying and, and, and living without God forever. Foolishness. Even nowadays, bigoted. People, people have gone from being, from being disinterested in Christianity to being anti-Christianity. That's the world we're living in. It's not that you do your thing, I'll do my thing, I think your thing is stupid. I think your thing is wrong. <laughs> I think what you believe is wrong. It's foolishness to a dying world. But to us, but to those that follow Jesus, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of of God and the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Paul talking to the Corinthians now. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You were nobodies. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the, this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Don't go anywhere yet, Shell. Did you catch that? Did you catch the wisdom of God? The righteousness of God? Did you catch that in those verses? God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God's way brings glory to God. End of discussion. You don't get the glory. I don't get the glory. God gets the glory. Why? Because he deserves it. Why? Because he's God. Because you're created... And He is Creator. Because He gave you life. He is life. He deserves worship. So in God's wisdom and in God's righteousness, the way that He worked it what there were, was that there was absolutely, positively, no way a human being could stand before God and say they are better than Him. I know more than you, God. My way is better. You shouldn't do it my way. You should have gave me that promotion. You should have gave me that spouse. You shouldn't have let my granddad die. My way is better, God. Nobody can stand before God and say that. God, I know what I'm talking about. Oh, do you, do you? Oh, do you? Do you? Every time, I, every time my heart starts getting that, going down that direction, every time I think of Job. Every time, if you ever need a humility check, if you ever need a big fat piece of humble pie to get you back to where you need to be, just go read where God finally responds to Job and says, oh, you were around when I hung the stars up there, were you? You were around when I put everything where it is. So you're the one holding this whole thing together, are you? You're the one that, you're the reason why the earth is suspended in nothing. 
You're making that happen, are you, Job? Is your poor little life, is it going rough for you, or is it? God has the right to say that, because God is holding it all together. No one may boast before him. Last slide, show. Y'all heard that last slide. We're almost done. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Because of God, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You and I have nothing, nothing to boast about. But we have everything, everything to be thankful for. Everything. I lied. We've got a couple more slides, and I'm done. Bear with me, please. Real quick. So, what is thankfulness? When do we need to give it, and how? Those are always the questions after you hear God's Word, right? I wish you'd just tell me what to do, how to do it. Gratitude is a response to a gift. It's a response to a gift. That's why you give gratitude. What gift have you been given? <laughs> the best gift of all. It's a gift worth all gratitude and worth giving thanks. Christ crucified. For what? Next slide. That slide, sorry. First Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Look around and find reasons to be thankful. You'll be amazed how many there are once you start looking. The more the better. And then everyone's favorite question. How? How do I actually do that? Well, how do we thank God? How do we praise God? How do we give Him thanks? We sing to Him and speak to Him and express gratefulness with our voices and His name. I challenge you this week to go out and pray in your car, at your home, out loud, and say a name of God. Say Jesus. Say Yahweh. Say God of the heavens and the earth. Don't just say God. Say His names. Praise His name. Second, we pray to Him expressing we value our relationship. The point of prayer is not to get what you want. The point of prayer is for you to express your gratitude to an all-knowing, all-loving God. Third thing, we serve Him and His people with the gifts He has given us. How do you say thanks to God? You serve Him and His people with the gifts He has given you and me and us. And the last thing is we sacrifice for his name and his glory. However, in any way that you can, think of it. Financially, time, effort, energy, all those things. Why? Not so our name gets on a billboard. So more people know God. He gets the glory. And that is worth giving thanks to. Next week, we'll talk about what happens as we give thanks. What's the effect on us, our life, our church, our world, when we consistently actually do this? What happens? That's what we'll talk about next week. The effects on faith through thanksgiving. I'll pray for us, and we'll finish with a song. Here's what I would ask you to do. Give thanks through this song, if that's what God's calling you to do. It's a great song. It's the same one we sang at the beginning. Come up here and pray for things that you're thankful for. Come up here and pray about where these boxes are going and the little hands they're going to be put in and the hearts, hopefully, that will be changed and brought to God. That's what I ask you to do this time. Or if you want to give thanks for the first time to God because you're deciding to follow Jesus today, then I would ask you to come do that now. I'll be on the piano, but I'll put Stuart on the spot, but I know he won't mind. He'll be happy to come here, up here and pray with you. 
Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your righteousness, your wisdom. God, thank you that you hold it all together. You make it all work. We thank you for that, God. Pray that we would trust you in that, God. Pray that we would come together every week and and just blow the doors and roof off this place with the amount of thanksgiving and praise that we're giving the God of heavens and the God of earth, God. Yahweh, the everlasting one, the always was, always is, always will be. Jesus, Savior God. Pray that we would do that every week, God, today and every day. We pray it all in your name. Jesus' name, amen.